0: hey everybody welcome to season two of the Mixmasters masters podcast i'm your host steve litcher and for those not familiar i'm the touring front of house engineer for stitched up heart working with stitched up heart has led me to meet an incredible number of really talented people and i wanted to introduce you to them i wanted to let you hear their stories and learn from their experiences this is really your chance to listen in on behind the scenes talk and to learn from some of the best in the business i have to give a huge shout out to my pal merritt goodwin for this killer intro music, Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's also an extremely talented composer. Give him a follow on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin or on Instagram at Merritt Goodwin Official. Now let's bring up the faders and jump into this episode of Mixmasters Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 40 of Mix Masters, where my guest today is Dave Peterson of Sound Effects in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I happened to meet Dave at the Upheaval Festival, which was also in Grand Rapids, Michigan, earlier this summer, while Stitch Up Heart was lucky enough to be doing a couple of festival runs in July. Dave was really easy to work with at the festival. He put up a great stage. He threw up a killer mix. I listened to him mix a number of bands, and he was really outstanding. I also listened to him play in one of the bands on that stage. So Dave wears a lot of hats. He's a really talented guy. He's really fun to talk to and listen to. Some of the notable things that Dave has done in a house capacity include working with bands like Bring Me the Horizon, Disturbed, Ice Cube, Coheed and Cambria, Fit for a King. Dave also wears a number of hats. He's a front of house engineer, a system engineer, a sound designer, lighting designer, drum tech, guitar tech. Anyways, you get the idea. Dave has done a lot of things. He's really knowledgeable. But most excitingly, I think he's going to he just announced that he's going out uh, with Nelly's little bit of music series tour as a front of house engineer. So we talk a little bit about that, but in code because he couldn't announce it at the time of the podcast. I did record this in July right after our festival was done, so I was pretty excited about everything. So I talked a little bit more than normal. Apologies for that. And I also want to give fair warning. We are about to head out on the road in about a week. I'm going out with Stitched Up Heart and the Butcher Babies for a seven week tour. Hopefully, everybody stays healthy and the tour keeps going. So, you won't hear Mixmasters for a little bit. So, if you're missing us, uh, go back and listen to old episodes or just put this one on repeat because it's really good. All right, let's talk to Dave. And thanks again for listening. I'll see you all soon. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Mixmasters. I'm your host, Steve Litcher, and I am joined today by Dave Peterson. I met Dave while at the Upheaval Festival just a couple of weeks ago. Yes, uh, we did do some live music a couple of weeks ago, and I've got to admit it was pretty awesome. It was really awesome for a number of reasons. Uh, most of all, you know, just being in the environment, but uh, also very importantly, surrounded by a really strong crew. Dave and his crew were amazing, and I also discovered that Dave is a D Live guy. Uh, when mm-hmm. I was looking at the front of house tent, I saw a big old D Live C thirty five hundred console, and uh, I knew I was in good company. So, Dave. <laughs> Welcome to Mixmasters.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Steve.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you were able to find time. I know you guys are pretty busy now that things are sort of getting back to uh, normal. So Dave, you're joining me from Lansing, Michigan, correct? Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Are you from Michigan originally or or tell me a little bit about your uh, earlier days?
1: Yeah, I'm from a, a small town about 20 minutes from Lansing called Eaton Rapids. Uh I think my you know give a scale my graduating class I think was like 120 some people so you know nothing massive nothing crazy uh basically no music scene (laughs) whatsoever um I relied a lot on Lansing um and really to give myself a background I have to mention that my dad um is has been in the entertainment industry pretty much since he was my age um he you know, grew up in the 80s, wanted to be a guitar player, played in back when, uh, I guess, and this is before my time, back when uh, cover bands really were like in their prime, especially like hair metal rock cover bands. So he did that for a while and eventually found his way into being guitar tech and kind of uh, all around just handy guy backstage before, probably before he was really even called guitar tech. It was probably referred to as roadie back then. Um, so he did that and then eventually that he uh, started a, a music store in Lansing um, and then they kind of did little PA rentals, you know, someone needs a few speakers on sticks for a DJ kind of thing and that just kept growing until, you know, we were doing bigger stages, um, festival days, he was touring and then I just kind of got born and kind of got in the thick of it and I grew up looking at road cases and I think once or twice I've slept in like the big road cases for like an M7 or we had an H3K for a while. So kind of always knew what all this stuff was, but not at all how it worked (laughs) Um, and was really inspired by him and just ended up, you know, going to college for it, getting a degree in it, and then kind of just trying to make my own path in it with obviously he's my dad. He's not going to let me make any too bad decisions. But (laughs) yeah, that's that's pretty much me in a nutshell
0: that's pretty cool uh it's great that you have familiarity with some of those older legendary analog boards uh or you know like the some of the hybrid boards too but uh Mm -hmm. we'll get into gear in just a little bit but I also believe you are a musician because I did catch a little bit of you playing bass on the stage that you were producing I was
1: actually I was playing guitar Um, oh sorry yeah no worries (laughs) I mean yeah guitar is cooler than (laughs) bass I do love playing bass. But yeah, I uh, I started playing saxophone in like fifth or sixth grade, did the whole school marching band thing. Uh, actually, was a drum major. So I kind of got more into like the leading of a group and conducting um, and then only played in a few bands that did a handful of gigs in high school and then met up with some people who had a college band um, and then just kind of by nature, actually. Um, the band I play in I used to do sound for which is how I met them at a club I used to which unfortunately closed due to COVID um, over this last year. Um, I met them and just kind of schmoozed them enough and sent enough videos of me playing guitar that they're like hey you can do that and then that's that's kind of how I ended up being in a band.
0: (laughs) That's crazy so you started out doing sound but then transitioned into playing for the band actually so normally it's it tends to be the opposite. Like, you know, uh, the guitar player, they needed a, a PA and so he figured it out or, you know, he knew how to record them on whatever home system he had. And, you know, a few years later he's out touring or whatever. So that's mm-hmm. pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. It was, a. Uh, I've always loved playing guitar and always like, Wanted to be in a band and especially in I genuinely feel like I joined one of my favorite bands because I had been able to meet the guys and like was really though I wasn't involved in writing the music I was involved with things prior so I kind of knew what I was getting myself into and I always have been sort of a songwriter in like my hobby time um so it kind of just made sense for me to just hop on and be kind of like you know the nerd of the band that takes care of the IEM right I'm the only one that knows how to scan frequencies you know for any of our stuff so I'm usually the one though I'm playing on stage I'm usually basically our tech running around
0: oh that's awesome yeah hopefully if you uh, go out on tour you'll draw multiple checks then having all those different roles <laughs>
1: I would love to do that.
0: <laughs> Always good if you can double and triple dip on the same gig. So is there a particular genre of music that you're drawn to, especially like from the singer or the the songwriter uh, composer aspect, or where do you find yourself falling musically?
1: You know, I almost, it's kind of all over the place because my first bands were kind of like grungy is not quite like grunge grunge but like very inspired by I'm a huge tool fan um and then what else sort of some Metallica in there some Foo Fighters um kind of you know it was song structure and like overall energy that I really get into so thus I'm I kind of find myself working with a bunch of different genres you know having played more classical music and jazz and then I've also got a recording background from college and orchestra and then and then all the work i do with sound effects um which is i don't know if we said that that's the name of my dad and i's company um all the work with them doing uh theater shows spoken work, kind of i, I kind of i've dabbled enough in everything so if someone says oh do you know how to do this like yeah I, like i just um one of the gigs we did i ended up um we do like this big fourth of july celebration um in a town maybe two hours from us near detroit and uh There's something like, it's kind of ridiculous. It's like 25,000 people go to this. It's like bigger than half the festivals I've even been to. And it's all for fireworks. And I actually ended up this year, uh, ended up like mixing and designing the audio track for the fireworks show. Which is something I never really thought I would ever be able to do, like a pyro musical, I guess. So it kind of—that's my long-winded answer of saying like I'm kind of all over. The short-winded it is I love rock and metal. That's kind of where I feel like I'm best at. But I've mixed so much other stuff that I feel pretty comfortable kind of going wherever.
0: Yeah, no, I totally get it and I, I appreciate it. Uh coincidentally, I'll be doing a fireworks show uh, this Saturday in northern Wisconsin, helping out a buddy with a production company. So oh, awesome. Yeah, so it's uh ironic that you mentioned uh comp or putting together the mix for that. So you mentioned uh recording. Do you find yourself gravitating more towards preferring the recording side of things or more the live sound production side of things?
1: It's t- It's definitely a case of if I do enough of one, I really want to do the other, you know, like this last the week of upheaval, was so much prep and we had like three different shows going out and all that. I was like, man, I would love to just go sit in front of Logic with a guitar right now. And that's it. And then, you know, you know, we had all of 2020 to sit (laughs) in front of our computers and try to write music and do that. So it was very much itching to do the live stuff. So, you know, I feel like the healthy middle is I love doing live recordings. I love being able to work with a band and say, hey, I can come do your show. And then if you throw me like a little cash, I'm I can just record it and we can have like a little mix of it. You know, whether they want that to be like an actual like live record that they release or this is just you know like the fake live stream the not live live stream stuff that we all did I feel like last year I did two of those those were fantastic where they they have that live energy but then I also get to you know go fix my mistakes and like (laughs) be and they get to fix their mistakes as well
0: Yeah, the joy of being able to edit uh, and the DAWs and everything these days are so good. Uh, mm-hmm. that You know, even a dummy like myself can figure them out and get them to uh, sound fairly decent. Although I listened to our live stream and I thought, I thought we killed it because we just recorded it straight through and, you know, just got published. And it was like, I thought we killed it. And then I went back and listened to it. And I was like, oh, I screwed up there. I screwed up there. I screwed up. <laughs>
1: Mm -hmm. Actually, the first show I was able to do on that DLive was a not live live stream. And I was super, that was where I was like, okay, I bought the right console because this thing sounds great. Um, And it was, my whole intent was, okay, I'll go do it, record it through the DLive, and then I will just throw it into Logic or Reaper or whatever I decide to use in that. And then I'll just mix it like how I would anything else. But it sounded so good. And (laughs) Really, I wasn't getting paid enough to like commit that amount of time to building a DAW session. I was just like, I'm just gonna go redo it through the D live. I'm just gonna like virtual sound check it and then record my left right. And that's what I did. And they loved it. And I was like, okay, I, I can like do records on this desk.
0: <laughs> well, that's maybe a good segue to start talking a little bit more uh gear and nerding out on some things here because um I fell in love with the D live. You and I were talking before we hit record on this bad boy, but uh, you know, I started out. Well, I didn't start out. I started out on a PV-16 channel powered analog board mm-hmm. in 1988. But when I got into the digital era, my first mixer was a Behringer XR-18 Air. In the 90s, I mixed on Allen and Heath boards, and I'd heard about this D-Live. And I was like, I've got to give that thing a try. And I went to a, a couple of demo days that they had and, and got to play around with it and really liked it. Fell in love with it. What, what drew you to the D-Live primarily?
1: Ooh, there's a lot of reasons. Um, actually, one of the bigger reasons, um, initial, we've been we had been playing around with trying to get newer consoles or a newer a list console. Um, we've had M7s for a while. We had an LS9 for a little bit. We had three M32s at one point. We got an SC48. So we kind of got a lot of flavors. But uh, the PA company that we use a lot called DB Technologies. Um, they. Are, they were partnered with, at the time, whoever was distributing Allen & Heath in the United States. So I would go to NAM with my dad to, like, look at gear. And we're both guitar nerds. So, like, obviously, we're kind of double dipping. Like, yeah, it's for work. But, like, we're really going to, like, the ESP booth to, like, check out these really <laughs> nice guitars. Um, so they would always pitch us. Alan and Heath, like, come on, guys, like it's all that. And based on the reputation of Alan Heath, kind of what I had gotten from him and from people I talked to in the early 2000s and 90s, is it just it wasn't as good as you know, an avid desk or a code desk. Um, so that was kind of my first introduction to it. And then I really started looking into it probably tail end of 2019. Um, you know, right before everything started right, right when, you know, making a nice, healthy investment into sound gear sounded like 2020 is going to be a great year, you know, <laughs> so, and then I found that it was at that price point, it was right at it's, it's a, uh, I actually thought of this analogy earlier today. It's how I think about the car I own as well. It's right past that point of diminishing returns. Like it's nice. It's really good. It does everything I need it to and more but it doesn't cost nearly as much as any other desk. And like I'm, I drive a Subaru and I feel like that is very much like the Subaru way of like, we do everything really good, but not having, we're not trying to be a Rolls Royce or Mercedes. We're just trying to do it. So that was the big reason is it did. And then the plug and play ability, the fact that I can kind of go whatever surface or no surface, if I really want to uh, it has card slots for Dante. It's, Oh, it's 96 K I'm, that i should i should stop i put a lot of stock i am not going to say that it matters a lot and that everyone can hear it but i every time I've worked on a 96k desk I'm like this just sounds better it, maybe it's the 96k maybe it's because it was a Midas or or it was a d live but i feel like that was a big deal to me it was 96k actually
0: yeah, your your point about the 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 point or pay being past the point of diminishing returns, the return on investment for the D Live to me is just amazing. You know, I like, I don't want to talk pricing here too much, but for mm-hmm. where it sits, you know, it's it's still about the same as a Midas Pro One uh, Tour Pack, uh, mm-hmm. but to me, it just it's so much more powerful. And, you know, the Midas Pro 1 is pretty legendary, but it's also seven, eight years old.
1: It's seven, eight years old. Midas support in more recent years has kind of gone down. Um, It's harder to get a hold of people um, and get parts and stuff like that. AES 50 can be a great time. Uh, (laughs) You got to really watch your cat cables.
0: (laughs) You you beat me to it. I I got bit by one of those once at a venue, uh, but that's another story. Mm -hmm. so
1: that that because i was definitely before i was looking at the d live i really wanted a pro one or pro tc i was like i'm also big on small form factor i'm not a big guy i I don't need this massive thing in front of me i like the idea of i can show up with this tiny little thing and probably sound better than the other guys or at least i like to think so so the live i knew getting the c 3500 in that package i have a cdm 48 with it um I knew eventually, as soon as we bought that, I was like, I will get a C1500. I don't know when, but I'm going to get that or CTI 1500 now um, because I knew like I want to be able to throw this thing in the back of my car and take it to the airport.
0: Yeah, it, that, there's something to be said for that. That's, as you know, I'm on the seat, the titanium uh, 1500, mm-hmm. CTI 1500 thing is amazing. You know, it's like 17, 18 pounds or all in. Mm hmm. Unfortunately, my road case weighs a hundred (laughs) pounds.
1: It was pretty heavy. I was kind of like when we were lifting that, I was like, you got this really light console. And then you got this case that weighs like three of this console.
0: I, oh, at least. Yeah. That, that, Mm. that case is way, way, way overkill. Uh, But I wanted to give the case manufacturer a try. He's a friend of a friend Mm. and I've heard really good things about him and he builds an outstandingly bulletproof case, but uh, lightweight is not one of his virtues.
1: I was going to say like the case itself was built very well. Like I can totally see why you chose it. Like it seemed very secure in there, but I was like, this is not going on a plane. Like this is going to be for States tours. And then maybe if he's got to put it on a plane, find something else.
0: Yeah. I'll probably be, uh, we are tentatively scheduled to go to the UK at the end of the year. Uh, and so I'll be looking at like a Hickson case, those aluminum Mm -hmm. cases, which then fly under 50 pounds all in, which is amazing. Um, Or possibly a Circle 3. I just haven't made a decision yet. The the Circle (laughs) 3 stuff is really good. I had one of their cases for my 3500 uh, when I had that. Mm -hmm. Really liked it, but um, I don't know. I sort of like the idea of the Hickson. I think it's Hickson. John Hickson.
1: Or is it it Scott Dixon? Is that who it is? Scott Dixon.
0: Yeah, sorry. Yeah, because
1: he also makes guitar boats. That's how I found out from him, actually. And then when I saw... At NAM, the Scott Dixon thirty five hundred case. I was like, "That looks like those guitar vaults." And then, lo and behold, it's the same guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm old and forgetful, and you know, I'm I uh, confuse names quite a bit. So, thanks a lot for that, Mike. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, no worries, Dave. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're having a little fun, so that's good. Uh, so, let's talk about festival production because it seems like there are a lot of festivals, um, you know, that are on the books for this year some indoor venues are, you know, having events and things like that, which to me, I'm still a little sketched out about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but being in an outdoor festival and especially like a, a big outdoor festival, like upheaval was, is just, you know, that's ideal. Mm-hmm. How do you, how did you get involved with upheaval? I know that this was sort of the first year for them, uh, I think for that festival and, and, You know, you guys did you guys bring the stage? I know I know about the PA, we'll talk about that a little bit, Mm -hmm. but talk a little bit about some of the behind the scenes stuff, if you don't mind. Like how do you go about getting involved and then, you know, setting up and, and making sure that you've got rider friendly gear and that that you guys are properly prepared so that when bands come in, you know, they have a smooth day like everybody did.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, we've been working with the promoter of Upheaval on some other festivals uh, for probably a better part of two decades. So we're very familiar to him and he's familiar to us. Um, and yeah, that, one, that festival got booked. I heard about that a year ago or so. Um, and being a metal guy and the band that I was in was already planned to play. So I was like, sweet, I get to mix my guys at this festival. Um, and that I'm also doing production for, so that'll be really cool. So I kind of took it upon myself to make that festival, my baby, not every not every show gets to be my baby, but that one was like, I want everything to go as smooth as I possibly can. So I'd been, I had been thinking about that festival and that stage kind of set up for a while. Um, so we brought in, um, that was our PA. That was our lighting rig. The only things that were not ours was the stage, which is, a. um, we do, we have access to those stages. We own a slightly smaller one, but we convinced, I was actually like, we were walking around our smaller stage and I was like, I think we should try to get a bigger, we should try to upsell and get a bigger. And I'm totally, I'm so happy we did, because if we had anything, anything smaller than what we had, I don't, I don't think it would have worked. Thank God. Also, all of the cool bands, all the cool headliners that, uh, that weekend that were fine with striking their drum kit because that doesn't always happen. sometimes you get the bands that know we set it up and it's not moving. So then I and, and I had a lot of contacts with other bands as well. I told them, hey, be prepared for a smaller stage just in case the headliners aren't base, aren't cool with them moving their kit. Thank God that didn't happen. everyone had a great weekend. Um, so I, had, uh, I I had been up at that site before we've done a, we actually have done a silent disco up on that hill before. so I was familiar with what kind of area and all that so i took it upon myself to do i use ease focus um to do my pa modeling just to kind of very rough pa modeling kind of like is uh, is this enough boxes kind of pa modeling um so i knew about how many we actually ended up hanging less than i wanted to which is fine we were totally (laughs) fine with what we had Uh, i i like to do front fill and some of the guys i don't i work with don't like to do front fill sometimes (laughs) um Anyway, so we do that. What else? Riders. Um, it's very hit or miss if the rider is, it gets to me at all. Honestly, I had for if everyone on that weekend, I got one. Actually, yeah. So if you sent one in, I didn't get it, <laughs> which annoys me. And I had kept telling that to the upper people, like, hey, I can't prep to do you know the thing if you don't give me the stuff. <laughs> so it's very hit or miss if i get a rider and then even then if that rider is accurate and up to date so we do play this game a lot of what do we think people are gonna need um luckily we don't usually try to overbook ourselves where we're spread too thin where we can't take you know a bunch way more xlr than we needed more stage power than we need more this or that um And then I knew just from my own experience and education that like, okay, I need to be able to, I I like to go into everything. Um, When I'm the house engineer, I make the other front of house engineers like my artists, if that makes sense. Like they are my band, you know. Whatever they asked, I try to be cool with them, be real with them, but then I want them to have a good time because I think no matter what it sounds like, I like people walking away from my shows with a smile and like, yeah, that was a good time. Maybe it didn't sound the best. It usually sounds pretty good, but maybe even if it doesn't sound the best, I just want people to have good experiences associated with me. So little things like having multiple redundant cat lines ran from front of house to stage good cat lines <laughs> like nice either made by cbi or whirlwind or some reputable you know entertainment cable manufacturer that's a big thing um i know people don't like to flip their desks more than once or get in the back of it once they've patched so having um a, uh, a you know a splitting system or some sort of above a we got um, one of the i don't know if you've seen them the mix switch those that was, that was the first gig that we actually used that on. And I was so happy I did that because I can just hand tails and be like, there's left, right, sub fill. You don't have to talk to me if you don't want to anymore kind of thing. Um, So that's a big deal. And then honestly, uh, bringing in the right people um is a huge thing. You can buy gear, but you can't just, you know, randomly pick the right people. Um, So knowing who, People who I've done shows with, who I've seen work, especially in that genre. If I know someone is into that genre, that is on kind of my call list, I will call them because they kind of have their own investment of, well, I like metal, so I want to go do the metal show, stuff like that. So uh, those are kind of the things that run through my head when we start to approach kind of like being a house engineer, where I know there's going to be guest engineers.
0: Yeah. Well, you guys definitely hit on all cylinders because, um, everything that you mentioned, you know, the, the switching over, handing the tails, that was seamless. There weren't any, you know, system pops or anything like that. And I was really worried about, you know, when I, when I went to turn on my console, I was like, am I, I don't want to pop anything. And you're like, you're good. Don't worry about it. (laughs) So I should have known you had the switching system.
1: Yeah, no, that, that, that thing, that weekend was just a lifesaver to have. Um, i'm we're starting to build we've never really had like a proper front of house rack it's been you know before i started getting into like the nitty-gritty of production stuff it was a lot of well we tune the pa with the graphic on the console so if another guy shows up he's going to either have to do the same thing or not have tuning luckily i really like the pa we have and it's pretty great straight out of the box so you know handing someone without processing doesn't scare me but there's definitely situations where like i need to have that so
0: it's really cool too because um i had just met you that weekend but for some reason i had like complete trust and faith in everything and we didn't get a sound check you know because there was the other stage playing while we were setting up and it was basically just a, a quiet line check we had to have a quiet stage Mm-hmm. And when you told me what the PA was and I saw your front of house and I just saw the crew, I was like, this is going to be great. It's going to be better than anything that we've done, you know, pretty much all week. And it really was, it was really outstanding.
1: I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, no, my my pleasure. Do you want to talk a little bit about the the actual hang of speakers that you guys had at uh, Upheaval? Because I got to say that system sounded great. I know what it was, of obviously, mm-hmm. but... Uh, for people that may not have experience or may not believe it, I'd, I'd like you to talk about it. And then we'll just sort of validate, you know, some things about it.
1: Yeah. And I'd love to hear your take on it. If you've mixed through that brand of loudspeaker before, because I'm, I mean, I'm, I've mixed through DB Tech stuff for the past five years because it's all the inventory we own. Um, so I think it sounds great, but I'm a little biased. But yeah, we use um for this, for any, any you know, nerdy people, it was an SL100. A stage line sl 100 with uh, four db technologies dva t12 i think the fir version uh aside and then i also put uh three uh db technologies s30 n's which is their dual 18 subwoofer per side thought about doing cardioid based on how the day of loading was going i just said I don't. I'm just gonna stack them, and everyone's like, "That just do that." Even though now we had so many complaints from the neighbors, it would have been kind of nice if I did cardio to kind of push us away from the neighborhood. But nonetheless, no one complained about how much low and they had access to, which I'm always happy about. Um, so yeah, it's an all. Uh, if we're getting into it, it's an all pa- an all powered box. All the processing is in it. You just run it with Cat five, and then you can connect to it's got like a little like network switch that they can use and that's how you can tune it you can turn on amps and off all that kind of fun stuff
0: yeah i think uh db technologies and rcf share a lot of things uh back and Mm -hmm. forth between each other and so like i always equate the s30 n to like the 9006 subs from uh rcf which are monsters but yeah i I did wonder about the neighbors because there was a we were right at the end of a cul-de-sac on on like a in a really residential area and the stage, you know, was not facing that, but I, I figured the noise coming off the back of the stage would probably generate some complaints, but you guys got some, uh, feedback from the neighbors.
1: Uh, yeah. Um, well we, I go to, uh, check the system cause we loaded in on Thursday and then we go to Friday and I go to turn everything on, you know, make sure everything's still there and like nothing's imploded. And, uh, there's actually, there's a little, I don't know if you noticed, there's like a little tent kind of near us. That was like a ta- They were tattooing and they had a little system, so they turned on their system. Mind you, this is probably around like 9 30 a.m. So already, like, <laughs> probably not a great idea. Yeah, they started, it was basically a gas competition for about like two minutes. I was like, no, I don't think these guys realize how much oomph I have. And like, Pfft you know 15 minutes later production manager from down the hill comes up saying like yeah we can't really be making noise until one o'clock i was like oh okay that's fine like yeah just kind of keep it down i was like yeah that was probably just my fault like but i hadn't heard like subs in like a year i was like "I i need to do this for myself i need to hear this
0: yeah it was great we we don't normally play intro music before a set but uh biz had died the night before so we Hmm. played uh, just a friend by biz i
1: was curious if that was your typical intro or not i was like this is interesting
0: (laughs) yeah no it was only it was just because uh biz had died and uh Hmm. our bass player randy had suggested that we do that and so i was like that's a really great idea let's let's give that a shot and as soon as I heard the subs hit, I was like, oh, we're in good shape. here. This is going to be great. I,
1: I had guys all weekend being like, they're super nice. I can tell everyone hasn't been on the road for a while. So they're like, you know what? If I'm getting close to limiters, let me know. Like everyone's super kind. I hope we can keep that energy up as we go forward. And I, every time they would say something, be like, I, I've, you know, knock on wood. I, we've never blown a single driver in any of those boxes. And we've had them for about eight years. Um, When we used to, before we had an old EAW KF-730 rig and uh, I think SB-1000s, and we were going to get stuff reconed like weekly. Um, So just having the processing and the limiting in the boxes has saved us so much. And it's made me feel comfortable enough to say like, no, 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 you can push this. Like, we'll be okay.
0: (laughs) It's so funny because uh, I had a production company... Prior to COVID, uh, I actually shut it or downsized it quite a bit in 2019 so that I could really focus on touring stuff. Mm-hmm. But I started out with an EAW system and same exact experience. I was reconing stuff all the time. And I was the only person running it, but for whatever reason, I don't know if they were just aged or whatever. But yeah, we were we were reconing stuff all of the time, uh, trying to be as careful as possible. The system would sound great. We'd shut it off, go fire it up, you know, the next weekend huh, that mid-range sounds weird, you know. And sure enough, a driver was bad. Mm-hmm. So I blame age more than anything. But um, then I switched switched over to RCF and had zero issues with anything ever. It was just it was just great. So mm-hmm. I think your experience is uh, not that uncommon with that uh, line of equipment from Italy.
1: Absolutely, they make great stuff. They really do, and it's affordable. Like it's very, it it's kind of, it's the D live of the loudspeaker realm. I feel like, like very affordable, but you're not, you're not cheaping out. Like you're still getting a very quality loudspeaker and it lets regional companies like mine, like have this quality of product without, you know, having to invest way too much.
0: Yeah. Obviously it's not an L acoustics or a D DB, uh, D and B or, you know, um, Adamson or something like that, which, you know, no, those exactly. are all. In a league of their own, but they mm-hmm. also have a price that's in a league all of their own.
1: Absolutely. And if you can afford to carry and buy those, you absolutely should. Um, but when I can buy like two or three DB tech boxes for like one box of K2, it's like, well, <laughs> it just makes more sense. Yeah.
0: I help a friend, the the guy that I'm doing the fireworks show for, he's an RCF shop also. And he uh, has a lot of the HDL 50A 4K speakers. Mm -hmm. And we did a show for Jackal uh, a couple of years ago. And they're infamous for being unbelievably loud.
1: My dad's main clientele is hair metal bands. So I know exactly what you're talking about
0: (laughs) yeah we we were at an outdoor venue i think at a casino in northern wisconsin and they had an sl uh 250 stage for jackal we did all the the lights racks and stacks uh, and all that fun stuff but we hung six hdl 50s per side and then we had three 9007s per side and their front of house engineer uh, showed up and he's like i don't think you boys got enough pa here for us (laughs) And th- my buddy was like, "Well, just give it a shot." And so he turned it up, and he was like, "That thing honks! <laughs> like mm-hmm. it, it it did it." And so during the show, we were standing about a hundred yards back uh, at the at the edge edge of the uh, the parking lot where it was sort of set up in, and we were measuring one hundred and fourteen decibels. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so you know, the first row just is gone. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't. Oh. it sounded great like it sounded so good but i had my earplugs in the whole time and oh, i was yeah. just like i'm not even gonna try to take these out like i just i, I need to save what hearing i've got left.
1: oh yeah i we've uh my dad works with i don't know if you know the band firehouse or Steelheart, or yeah he's tour manager and manages those guys and has worked with that so i kind of came that's how i kind of came up in like the I've been able to do both. I've been on the artist side in very small capacities, but I've been around to witness. And then I've done the live kind of house guy side. So I've been able to kind of see how those two go back and forth. And in doing so, I've seen lots of shows of that (laughs) that are exactly like that. Those front of house guys are different. It's just loud to me, at least everyone's got their thing, but I like to sit somewhere like 93, 94. I like people to walk away and not have their ears hurt, but you know,
0: I felt a little bad because I think I was pushing close to a hundred uh, for the show with you guys. Was I bumping off the limiters? I'm, I'm being selfish here. Sorry to anybody listening. To oh, the I
1: don't even think so. I was, I listened to it. I know when those boxes are being, that you they'll start, you'll start to hear them like really compress before they start to have any pops or anything. And yeah, no, I wasn't worried one bit with you at all.
0: <laughs> uh, well, thanks. I, I was having too much fun and I was like, Man, it just feels good to have this energy and, right? and have this sound. Uh, and
1: it was such a good time for everyone. Like even not even like the performance or the mixing side, like just being around everyone again. It felt it felt like kind of home.
0: Yeah, I didn't realize how much I missed, you know, getting an hour and a half of sleep each night or whatever <laughs> in between. Cause we did we did four shows back to back to back. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went, we did Rockfest and Kadat, then we did two shows in Wisconsin at clubs, and then we ended up at upheaval. And by the time we got to upheaval, everybody was running on very little sleep because we did. It was just a van tour, you know. Mm-hmm. We didn't bother getting a motorhome or anything like that for the short run. But I forgot how much I missed that sleep deprivation and the mm-hmm. the energy. Absolutely. Did you have any challenges that weekend? Did Did anything catch you by surprise, or did you have to, uh, you know, make any uh, executive decisions to to keep things running smoothly?
1: We had a very brief snaggle, which was saved by uh, my buddy, Andrew, who's our lighting guy that weekend, but is also very accomplished, uh, arguably more accomplished than me, Mitsing engineer. Um, but uh, we had the game of when Gemini Syndrome brought their uh, DM64 and used my Surface, mitsmatched firmware. And then when I then went back to my CDM48, same Surface, once again, mid firmware. And of course, discovering that right before my band is starting to do their line check. We've got like 30 minutes and then I'm not mixing. And I'm the only one who's ever really mixed on this console. So and we got the firmware sorted out. And I literally gave, this was how I knew I loved the live is I literally just had my input list and I was like, all right, go. And like, he'd never touched one before. And he, he was like, this thing's great. I know exactly where everything is. Like, you don't have to dig for it. So there was that. And then actually, um, the day you guys played, we were told, um, headliner was gonna load in at something like eight a.m. or something like that, which is not a big deal. We still showed up at nine. Um, they still didn't show up in time either. But uh, we were told no noise until one. So we had, and then we basically got one hour to make noise. Period for the headliner and then the opening. Um band luckily actually the opening bands were friends of mine and they had uh they had come over to my shop the uh, week prior to do a rehearsal and kind of prep and then i was able to have a show file so i didn't really need much time to kind of get them up and running um uh yeah and we were just told no noise so we kind of all just sat around for probably two hours (laughs) just kind of waiting like the band's up. They're wired. Like everything's that. Oh no, we had actually been heard. Maybe they were gonna can the stage because of like some sort of discrepancy with the neighborhood. There was, I don't know. There was a few rumors flying around. Like, I, I, I just remember the front house guy being like, "Don't put up very many mics because then if we have to take them all down, it's less we have to take down." Kind of scenario. Um, but luckily all of that was rectified, and we had a great show day
0: wow, that would have been crazy to find out that they had to uh, can the stage and, you know, no more. That would have yeah. that would have been terrible.
1: I was like, oh, I could go home early. That was about the only thing. But I was like, but I also still want to, like, do this. It's been a while, but, like, I am running on low sleep. <laughs> so I had the two parts of my brain battling each other.
0: Yeah, you also reminded me of the old, uh, the adage, not the adage, but the experience of touring, which is hurry up and wait. You know, you, oh, my goodness, you load in at nine and then you wait to be able to make noise so it's even though uh it's been what 18 months since we've done live stuff it nothing has really changed from that respect
1: no that's why i like being that's if i was gonna mix anything i wanted to be like in your slot where it's like show up and go 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 like at least then it, for me like my brain just wouldn't stop it would just be like and show rather than like you do all of that and then you gotta sit there for like three hours <laughs> and hope it all still works when you show
0: back up Well, that's a great point because so much stuff can happen. Like, we we ran into an RF issue at Upheaval uh, with Randy's vocal mic. Like, I scanned for frequencies, everything was clean. I assigned everything, I synchronized everything, I tested it. I saw, you know, a good strong signal from everything. And his mic worked for like two songs. And then the third song, I saw him walk up to the mic to try and say something. I didn't have any audio. Mm. Oh, thank you, D-Live. I love the D-Live because it has the Sure integration.
1: Oh, nice. So I went
0: went to the RF page and I saw that there was the the transmitter. The receiver wasn't getting anything from the mic at all. There was no signal, no nothing. The battery level was fine, but it was not connected. So something Mm. stepped on it somewhere. I don't know if a neighbor turned on a jammer.
1: (laughs) Someone put their cell phone somewhere where it shouldn't be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, that was our only hiccup for the weekend was, you know, losing RF. Uh, but yeah, I mean, anything can happen. And, and also huge thanks to Blacktop Mojo. They were the headliner, um, for the stage that we were on, on Saturday, but they did take their kit off the stage. They stashed it under the stage. Uh, there was plenty of room to get around and do things. So I'm super appreciative to those mm-hmm. guys for doing that. So thank you, Blacktop Mojo. Absolutely. And then again, like you said, Andrew, he was amazing too. He helped us out quite a bit. I really like the fact. <laughs> I'm talking a lot here, but I'm super excited, and, and the festival was so smooth. But the mm-hmm. the one hour turnaround time uh, was awesome too. In between sets, you know, so like while our stage was playing, the main stage, you know, had time to clear, set up, prep. As soon as our stage would finish, they would play. And then we would have at least you know a full hour, hour and ten minutes or whatever it was to clear the deck, set up and all that fun stuff. So it was really well run. Like for a first year festival, I don't think at least from where I sat, nothing could have really gone any better.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I everything I, I walked away from that weekend going everything went exactly as I hoped it would. And I wasn't expecting to do that. Cause like you said, first year festival, it's live music, things go wrong. But literally, I was like, okay. Nothing caught on fire. Everyone walked away happy. Everyone got paid. This
0: is, this is nice.
1: We should do this more often.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I, let's talk a little bit about your mixing approach because I did listen to uh, the bands before us and you mixed, did you mix Heartsick? I
1: did, yes. And
0: then you mixed the the first band, which I really yeah. enjoyed. Those guys, I can't remember. Stigial. Their... Mm, yes. Those guys are great.
1: I'm doing another show with them next month based after everything went so well after this weekend. And also because, yeah, they're a great band.
0: Oh, man. They sounded phenomenal. I, I just like that. Like, I love that style of music, too, that they play. How do you approach mixing a show like that? Like, what what are you uh, really focusing on in the heat of the moment? What are you doing?
1: Andrew's calling me
0: right now. Actually, he knows we're talking about. He him. does. I'll call him back.
1: Not to tangent, but they just got two D lives, so I'm getting a lot of questions from them on stuff. But uh, mixing approach. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely. Who did I hear say this? I think it was Kenny who mixes uh, Killers. He said this sentence that I think summed up everything: "Is you got to I mix for clarity." If I see something on a stage, I have to hear it before I can decide if I like what the tone is kind of thing. Um, And because of that, I've kind of started to teach myself, like, it sounds so like everyone says this, but you mix with your ears, not with your eyes. So not being afraid to do really drastic EQ cuts to get things to where I want them, um, tonality wise, I'm... I'm a drummer as well. I put a lot of stock into drum mics and drum tuning and drum playing and all that. And I very much think that um, good bands have a good drum mix and not good bands don't have a good drum mix. Like it, the guitars can be great, the vocals can be awesome, the tracks can be epic, but if the kick drum doesn't hit how it should and you know the toms don't sound good, really everyone's gonna think it was a bad mix. And I agree with those people. <laughs> so I definitely um I'm the guy who it's like I have my various mic preferences on other things. Like I'll use a fifty-eight on vocals if I have to. It's not my favorite. SCV seven is my favorite. Um, they sound great, they're cheap. Uh I will sell more of them. I've sold them to so many friends at this point. <laughs> But like I'm the one who puts so much stock into what drum mics are used on what and how. Um, and I've definitely started picking my microphones and stuff for drums based upon like this genre of like metal and stuff like that. Um, so it's definitely it's definitely about I, I think about the drums just a lot and scooping stuff out not being afraid of high passing and low passing a lot of stuff even when you think it it shouldn't be like you know i'll still low pass or high pass a kick drum up to like 40 hertz or something um it's all for clarity sure maybe it doesn't have that low 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 end but I need it to hit. I need people. People go to live music for an experience and they, you know, if you can get the subs to be really low and really tight, awesome. But if you can't, I just think about if it's not helping me get it out of the way. It, it, you know, if that changes the timbre pretty drastically, as long as it's still within genre, I'm not doing anything too crazy, but you know, if I can, if I can just make it clean and clear and what also what's fastest, um, I, you know, I adopted this from, and the more I get into touring with artists and working with artists, this is going to change. But as far as like a house guy thing, I like to start from zero every single day, pretty much. So I have, I have a starting template on my D Live, but literally the only thing it loads is my matrix routing. Um, that's it. It it still says channel one, channel two, channel three. So I I start from zero. I name everything, I do everything from zero rather than trying to pull in from like presets or stuff like that. I usually have, I have my go-to frequencies and things that I know I'm going to do regardless, but I like building the muscle memory and being able to be really fast and on multiple desks and being able to do that kind of stuff. Um, that's, That's the biggest thing. I mean, lead vocals gotta be awesome. Oh, not being afraid to put effects on things. That's a good thing.
0: What do you like for effects on your vocals? What are you What are you using on the D Live?
1: Oh, I I have I need to spend more time sitting down and playing with the effects because I kind of just loaded up. What is I think like just your your default stereo tap delay, and then uh, I think I may have played around with the high and the low pass. I like to cut out more of the high end so that I can bring in more of the delay without it kind of interfering with like all of the sibilance and intelligibility on the vocal, and then. I think it's just like a hall reverb. Usually I like to, I'll sometimes play um, rather than having. this. I don't even know if this makes sense. Rather than having two different reverbs, I sometimes just like sit, if I've got pretty much everything dialed, I'll sit on the effects page with the reverb and I'll just tune the time per song. Cause half the time, I don't know these bands or any of these songs. So I can't do anything too out there. I kind of have to be like, okay, I need like three verbs, a delay, and then I need like all my other stuff. So I don't try to do too intense. When I know the band and I kind of know what I'm going for, then I can start to, you know, do more things. But when it's in the in the name of speed and comfortability, I tend to go that route.
0: Uh, uh, two, two things that I found with the DLive and effects. Uh, first of all, uh, EQing the, sig- the effects send. Is oh, really yes. awesome. It's so, Absolutely. so helpful. Mm-hmm. And then on the verbs uh, in particular, going into the expert page and really playing around with like the, the size and the diffusion mm-hmm. uh, and the pre delay. Like I run a lot of pre delay on my verbs on the D Live. It just really helps with the intelligibility. I know a lot of guys that do arena stuff, uh, you know, will put like 60, 70 milliseconds of pre delay. I don't go that that far out. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I started adding more pre-delay, it really helped quite a bit. Um, and I do the same thing with the, the low pass uh, on the the delays and whatnot to try and improve that. The other really cool unit that I like that they built into there is the Bucket Brigade. Um, mm. I use that on vocals. Uh, that's one of the things that uh, when Mixie does like her really guttural growl screams, I've got the the Bucket Brigade on a fader, and I just bring that return into the mix pretty heavy. And it's like a delay and a verb in one, and it's it sort of like ping pongs left to right a little mm, bit. That's cool. Yeah, I love that Bucket Brigade. So huge shout out to Sean uh, McLaughlin. He turned me on to Bucket Brigade. They have also um, pl- the Bucket Brigade for like guitar settings and things like that. But I I really find the vocal one works well, and I use it on a lot of different things because it's just as a great jumping off point. So. Look into that. I've one.
1: started I never did this on any console before the D live and I couldn't tell you why, but I've started to really push putting gates or more really expanders on my vocals. Um, it was something I don't typically do. Um, I kind of started doing it more for um corporate kind of events, you know, soft spoken person. I have to Gain the shit out of the mic to get it where I want it, but also I don't want to hear, you know, every, you know, their feet when they're walking around stage. So, kind of playing with uh expanders and gates. And I've I've actually really fallen in love with the gate on just the D Live. I don't know if it really is any different than any other, but the UI and what I can get it to do, it just works for me.
0: Yeah, it's so it's so intuitive and it's pretty responsive. And you know, if you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing, pretty quickly absolutely yeah um let's go back to the drums a little bit and uh, i know everybody's probably rolling their eyes and and reaching for the fast forward button but uh i love But i got
1: a kick mic no one talks about to talk about though steve
0: let's talk about it tell tell Uh, me about it hit
1: me up so have you heard of the bear dynamic tgd (laughs) 71c
0: not that particular i don't know that particular (laughs) model off the top of my head it's it's
1: bear dynamics 91 that's pretty much what it is and actually you know we're just keep bringing them up andrew turned me on to it um and i just love it i i have an i've got an sm91 i have a beta 91a i have a one of the uh it's like the pic tech picture tech what was the 91 before it was called the 91 like it was just the desktop mounted thing i have one of those
0: boundary mic or whatever Yeah, yeah
1: and it's like when it was not designed for kick at all um i have those and then i have this bear dynamic and as soon as i got this it's got It's not quite as smacky as a 91. It doesn't have that super, super top end, which I'm a fan of, uh, of not having it. I like, it has enough click, like it's fine, but it has a little bit more low end. So I find myself, it's a great, um, it's a great house kick mic because I can make it sound like whatever and I don't have to put it on a stand. So I can get it in and out of during changeover super fast. And I'm not a fan of the Beta 52, um, personally. It, it sound Every time I hear a kick drum with a Beta 52, I go, that sounds like a kick drum with a Beta 52. Um, so we have them. I don't use them ever.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I have a bunch of them left over from the production company, and and I started using it when I first started with Stitched. But Decker doesn't use any type of dampening or uh, any type of uh, padding in his kick, and it really amplified that basketball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, so I'm using a D six, but I'm still not happy with the kick. I'm going to, I think I'm going to hide some foam in his kick drum when he's not looking because I need it. And that's really all that I really, I like my snare. I like my toms. Uh, I just really, Decker, if you're listening, we've got to do something about your kick drum. So
1: I would, I've done, I've done the, this bear dynamic on a few kicks without dampening, uh, like just carry like a little hand towel just so that it's not sitting on the wood of the drum. And honestly, that gives me almost in every case exactly what I need. Very close. I don't have to do much. It's it's kind of the same reason I got into the V7. It's like I don't have to do anything to this to make it sound good.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll give it a try. Uh, I live right next door to Full Compass, so I can run over and get <laughs> one and give it a try. I have his kick drum in my warehouse right now, so I'll I'll play around with it and see. But thanks for the tip on that one. Absolutely. What about snare and toms? You, you have any uh, favorite mics that you go to, like, that you reach for first?
1: It, there's so many parts of my brain because there's, for the house guy, I, I did some, I did work in clubs where it's like, you know, 15 minute changeovers. Um, I don't think there's a drum you can put a 604 on that it won't sound like that drum. It's not going to sound amazing, but like, I know I can in a pinch, like boom, 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 snare top, bottom, rack, rack floor, and I'm good. So I've gotten very used to making those sound how I like them to. We recently got some Beta 98s. Um, Those are pretty good, but I think are also it's. I feel like they're more reliant on if the guy can tune or not. Um, Where I fit. Hey, look at
0: that! (laughs) I'm holding up one of my Beta 98s.
1: I do love them. And like the tone, if the guy, if whoever I keep saying the guy, guy is a gender neutral term for in my mind. Anyway, we if they don't know how to tune or they haven't tuned things right, I feel like that might can just accentuate it a little bit and it's harder to recover from it. But if they know what they're doing, the 98 is it's like the other mics I mentioned, it gets me closer to what I like. Um snare. Yeah. live l- l- very little preference i've wanted to get um a, a bare dynamic m201 which from what i've listened to kind of sounds like 58 or 57 but fatter it's got a little bit more body to it um but you know a regular 57 does the thing uh beta 57 does the thing uh if you're not afraid of it being hit and like losing six or $700. The MD 441 is a fantastic snare top mic. Actually same, I actually do really like SM7B as well, but when it's live and you know, things can walk away, things can get hit. It's tough to try to put nice microphones up on things, at least in at the level that I've been doing it at. If I'm carrying something or, you know, it's a drum kit stays on the riser and the whole thing just gets pushed into the truck at the end of the night kind of scenario. Yeah, let's put some Neumann up there and do that. But when it's you know Joe Schmo with the Pearl kit from 1976 with the same original heads on it. Uh 604 is gonna sound fine.
0: <laughs> yeah 604 is is definitely a go-to. I i use the beta 98s on everything for Decker uh just because his kit is really he all of his drums are very close together. His symbols mm-hmm. are very close to the kit. Uh, he's got some splashes that he keeps really close. His ride is really close, so I don't have a lot of room to mount stuff. Mm-hmm. And he tunes he tunes his toms really well, so the 98 sound great on there to me. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, they they're, they're uh, I like the small form factor of them, and they like you said they they especially with the D live they're sort of neutral, so I really don't have to do too much with them.
1: D6 on Floor Tom is a personal favorite, or honestly kick except for the beta 52. <laughs> uh I, I don't like D112 on anything but floor tom, actually, at this point. Um, I don't know why. Uh it just isn't the kick sound for me. It's fine on a bass guitar, I guess. Um, but on floor tom, I don't know. My uh my one uh my recording teacher. Uh, randomly put it on it in our class and I was, because I've heard a bunch of different mics. I own 421s, so like I'm pretty familiar with like how I think Tom should sound and I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, that's a D112? Oh, cool. So I can use that.
0: <laughs> Have you played around with the uh, SE8 uh, at all for the the condenser overhead symbol, uh, hi-hat mic at all?
1: No, I got a pair of, uh, because I was looking for kind of budget overheads. I usually do underheads out of convenience for the drummer um and i got like six 14s and those are fine um but i've thought about a few times getting some se8s to do even more and just to have more I, I feel like having more condenser pairs lying around is always better than that
0: i i'll tell you i'm in love in love with uh the sennheiser mk4s i mm. i got turned on to those by nick rucker from steel panther and his drums always sounded amazing, and he. He's accounted a lot of it to his overheads and he said I run zero EQ on them. And he would show me night after night that he had zero EQ on his overheads. Not even high passes. It's well, just he, flat. No, he would high pass it. You know, okay. So I was going like, to be like, oh,
1: but yeah. oh, but that made sense. Yeah. yeah.
0: And <laughs> I was like, I've got to give these a try. And I I I went with them uh for this run that we're just that we just did, and I really, really like them. They're just big and heavy is the only downside. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm thinking about I'm thinking about trying the SE8. So I'm trying to find people that have real world experience with them. So if anybody's listening and you have experience, shoot me an email because I'd like to chat with you about that if I could. Um, so Dave, we're at an hour, uh, actually just a little bit over an hour. <laughs> I told <laughs> we'll you what this it, would happen. <laughs> I told you what happened beforehand <laughs> and here we are. Uh, what's the rest of the year looking like for you? are you guys uh, gearing up for any more festivals or what's what's your production schedule looking like?
1: Um, I'm pretty busy. Uh I have I had this week off, which is kind of nice. Um, and then we've got kind of more or less a bunch of different little odds and ends shows um going into uh probably into September. We've had a great relationship. You know, Bell's brewery, they make like Oberon oh, and yeah. all that. They're based out of Kalamazoo. I've been one of their house engineers and kind of working with them since about 2019. So they're getting to gear back. They have a few shows that we're going to do with them. And then I've got a bunch of stuff that I can't talk about (laughs) that hopefully gets confirmed. I've seen more announcements. We'll see how COVID treats us in October and into the winter. But hopefully you'll be seeing more of me going places. (laughs) in the next year
0: oh that'll be super cool you definitely have to loop me in when you find out because i'll be excited to hear what's happening
1: absolutely i'm very if the one thing you'll you'll definitely know if this one thing pans out
0: <laughs> oh yeah no that'd be killer uh i have full confidence that whoever you'll be working with will be very happy with the results uh because like i said your shows sounded great especially for throw and go uh you know and, and not really having time to dial stuff in we we luckily got two or three rehearsals right before we went out but still i i just started to feel like i hit my groove on after those four shows and now (laughs) we're on pause for a little bit again so
1: that was in kind of going back that was the first show i had never had um to do a completely silent line check before that was the first show where i had my in-ears and i was playing the same game that you were worth like all right the matrices are at the right level Let's hope the first song sounds like the first song.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it all worked out. So again, kudos mm-hmm. to you and the crew. Andrew, uh, your ears are probably ringing, but you were great. Very helpful. Uh, everybody on your I'm gonna team. I'm going to call is- him back after this like,
1: <laughs> I just hope you know Steve from Stitch was very happy. <laughs> I
0: couldn't have gone any better. But anyways, I think that that's a good way to sum up the podcast here. Uh, it couldn't have gone any better. Well, I could have probably done a better job as a host, but I always like to criticize myself, so... <laughs>
1: not at all steve you're a great host
0: ah thank you all right well i uh i'm grateful to have met you i hope that i get to see you out and about on the road again uh before too long and i really am excited to hopefully see you out on the road with somebody huge doing big things so i wish you nothing but the best and and thanks again dave for being on the pod
1: absolutely thank you so much for having me steve
0: (music) And that's a wrap on this episode of Mixmasters. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please be sure to subscribe and then tell a friend. Or maybe leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd certainly appreciate it. I produce Mixmasters on the Allen & Heath DLive system with Shure microphones and a little help from Apple's Logic Pro X and some Waves Soundgrid plugins. One more round of thanks to Merritt Goodwin for the music, and until next time, stay safe and healthy, and thanks again for listening.